Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Sarah Kapalak, and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, we take a step into the future and look at what life in Ireland could be like by 2050 if we continue to ignore the warning signs of the climate crisis. It's August 2050 and I'm walking through Dublin city centre. It's hot and sticky and there's smoke lingering in the air from those gorse fires in the Dublin mountains. When I was younger, I longed for warmer weather in Ireland. But these days, summer in the capital is hot and suffocating. I often dream of waking up to frost on the window panes and stepping outside into a cold, icy morning. But that's a thing of the past. We haven't had frost in Ireland for years. I see a large crowd outside a government building. New climate refugees, of course. They're coming from Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, but the influx of Irish Australians returning home, that's also soaring. Wildfires, lack of fresh water and dangerously high temperatures have just become too much for them. Looking back now, I wonder why we didn't heed all those warnings until it was just too late. On October 31st, world leaders will gather in Glasgow for the UN Climate Change Conference, or COP26, to discuss solutions to the climate disaster we are now all facing. Between now and then, we're covering the climate crisis on this podcast every week. But if all leaders at COP26 do not agree on how to reduce emissions and commit to concrete and urgent action, we're facing into a very bleak future. And what does all this mean for a small, rainy country like Ireland, And what might our lives on this island look like in 30 years if we fail to act now? Dr. Alistair McKinstry and Dr. Ender O'Brien are climate scientists at the Irish Centre for High-End Computing, where they carry out detailed modelling on what the climate in Ireland will look like in the coming decades. And uh, Ireland's climate, as we all well know, is characteristically windy and very damp. That's what we're used to in this country. But because of the effects of global warming, We know that will change into the future. To what extent are these changes already happening? The change is small. Since it is small, it's difficult to attribute any particular event to to climate change. You know, we've always had extreme weather events in Ireland. You know, one that comes to mind is even 
two centuries ago would be that so-called big wind that happened, I think it was in 1839 or so. By all accounts, the storm lasted for three days and described by the Dublin Evening Mail then as being of tempestuous power. It started in the southeast, veered to the west and then north, tearing up trees along its path and lifting roofs off the houses in towns and cities right across the country. In a way, that was a regular old winter storm, just exceptionally low pressure with exceptionally strong winds, did exceptionally lot of damage, killed a lot of people. And I don't think anything like that has been recorded since. But that all happened before people started burning fossil fuels. So that kind of event was possible. And so when we have um, extreme events now, a bit of a trick to, to attribute them specifically as a result of climate change. But there are some fingerprints you would look for. For instance, earlier this summer, we had for the first time ever, I think it was a code orange warning from Met Aaron that the nighttime temperature would not fall below 20 Celsius. The hottest day of the year was last Saturday, where 29.5 degrees was recorded in Athenry in Galway. A status orange high temperature warning has been issued covering six counties. Met Aaron is warning of temperatures exceeding 30 degrees Celsius in these places and overnight temperatures dropping no lower than 20 degrees. A separate in the 20th century records I've been looking at, I, I don't think the surface temperature at nighttime was ever above 20 Celsius. But it, it did happen this past summer. And the particular warming at night is one of the fingerprints you would expect to, to see happening under the climate change due to uh, a lot of carbon dioxide concentrations going up. Alistair, on the weather events, you mentioned the storm 200 years ago, but then you have something like Storm Ophelia a couple of years back, which was something... I mean, in my lifetime, it really stood out as a particularly large weather event. I mean, would that be indicative of changes that are happening in our climate here in Ireland? It could be. Attribution becomes difficult depending on the type of event. So it becomes easy to identify temperature events, but much harder to do storm events. We can basically run our climate models many times to see how frequently we would have observed something like stormophilia without climate change and then with climate change. And this is sometimes useful, mostly as an academic exercise. But, you know, you will end up with a percentage chance that this is more likely to have happened under climate change. And the challenge is trying to explain why you spent so much money and so much effort doing exact, getting exactly that number. Uh, you do it occasionally. You do it to prove the science is right. But you're reluctant to do it for every for every passing storm. And when you, Alistair, look at predictions for 2050 that include a rise in temperatures similar to what we saw this summer and more frequent heat waves, you might be tempted to think here in Ireland, well, if that's climate change here, maybe it's not all that bad. Is that a very naive way of looking at these changes? I think we're particularly lucky in Ireland. We'll see relatively little climate change because we're embedded in the ocean. And the change is relatively small. It isn't all bad. We will have, in the second half of the century, 30 to 40 days more growing season in Ireland. So that can change. We need to take advantage of that. But other people will lose. And we need to be aware of the fact that, in a sense, we have been relatively climate lucky. Overall, globally, it's, most people are, are far worse off than, than better off when we add up the total picture. And another prediction for 2050 is that we are going to see more of those big storms and more frequently. I mean, why is that and how dangerous could they become? 
Certainly, the predictions are for stronger tropical cyclones or hurricanes, if you like. And that's because the sea surface temperature will be warmer and it will be warmer over a bigger area. So those tropical cyclones exist to transport heat from the the warm sea surface higher up into the atmosphere. And, you know, in a a warmer world, they will be stronger, all right, and more frequent. But here in the mid latitudes, I expect we will see actually uh, fewer and weaker winter storms, the kind of storms that met air and might name, you know, over the winter season. And it's quite easy to explain why that might be. It's um, because if the Arctic is warming faster than lower latitudes, the temperature gradient between the the mid-latitudes and and the Arctic is smaller. And these um, mid-latitude winter storms that we typically get, they feed off of that temperature gradient. And so if that temperature gradient is smaller, those storms are going to be weaker. So that's the theory, if you like. We shouldn't expect stronger winter storms. Okay, there still will be winter storms, but no stronger than we've had, than we're used to. Storms will still happen. In, in a warmer world, they will carry more moisture. What about, you mentioned the moisture in those storms. I mean, flooding is a problem in many parts of this country. Cork City immediately comes to mind. Minutes after high tide, several of the city's streets were turned into rivers. Water flowed from Father Matthew Key and Morrison's... What does it mean for flooding defences? And also the reality that we are an island, so we are surrounded by water. So with sea levels undisputably rising, what, what does that mean? That's probably the biggest change that we'll spot by 2050. We will see wetter winters, drier summers, typically rising by about 7 or 8% rain, more rainfall by for every degree of warming. That will mostly be in the form of bigger, heavier, wetter events. So the flooding is in the short term the most important thing to take care of. Sea level rise is a challenging problem to deal with because of its its variable and long time scales. So it's rising by about three millimeters a year on average at the moment, which doesn't sound like a lot. But we're probably looking at around a meter of sea level rise by 2100 in the main scenarios. I know Environment England are preparing, are giving advice to prepare against two and a half meters of sea level rise because there's, uh, there's a lot of risk in events we're not sure of in ice sheet melt. And that then becomes very problematic for planning. You know, a one meter wall, seawall is ugly. A two and a half meter seawall along the promenade is uh, a different matter entirely. We've chatted about storms, about heat, um, about water. Is there anything else that I'm missing? Anything else that is going to pose a risk to Ireland in the future when it comes to climate changes? I would say the the biggest short-term risk is going to be summertime droughts. Because even now, 15 dry days is considered drought in Ireland. And, you know, by world standards, that's not very long, really. Even as things stand, we don't have very much resilience to a few dry days. We're just so used to the wet. There's a risk that uh, that resilience won't be there when these summer dry periods get a bit longer, which uh, they are projected to get. It's kind of interesting to see how the, the rainfall projections look. We, we are projected to get a lot more dry days, and they'll be especially in the summer, and also a lot more wet days. So it'll be kind of the middling days that will be fewer, the middling wet days, mm-hmm. if you like, that will be reduced. The fact that there's longer dry spells is going to be a challenge and a risk, especially for water management. But it's just an engineering problem, as far as I can see. So it's uh, nothing to get you know too worked up about. <laughs> Although it's been an engineering problem ever since Ireland became independent, I guess. So maybe it's time to solve it now. Coming up, 
Perhaps we can cope with a rainier, warmer Ireland into the future, but what will happen in the rest of the world? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So we are hearing all these warnings and we're also seeing internationally there are significant increases in extreme weather events worldwide. But it's still difficult sometimes to imagine what the weather on this small island will be like 30 years from now. I know neither of you have a crystal ball, but could you try painting a picture of what you think Ireland could look like if the climate crisis is left completely unchecked now? Okay, recall our climate simulations, projections. So they're not forecasts. We're not saying exactly one particular path will happen. They depend on exactly what we do. Our main two projections would be around either side of what we think is feasible, the the kind of the Paris Accord. What happens if politicians do things dramatically well? What happens if they don't? Probably what we call OCP 8.5 is possibly closest to business as usual. If we were doing that, we were looking about three to four degrees of warming by the end of the century, about three degrees per island. I think we're talking about times 10 increase in the number of heat waves by 2070, 10, 15% increase in the amount of wet days in that period. So those are the kind of main things. I think one of the things that you'd probably notice most would be the disappearance of frost, almost completely lost frost days. And that will probably be significant in terms of insects surviving through the winter. We might have mosquitoes that would that would survive through the climate. Indeed, one of the biggest unknowns, I think, would be not so much the climate, but what happens with the climate, biology. We can see invasive species that react with a tenth of a degree of change. And we don't really understand how those species will change with temperature well. What kind of consequences will these changes have for our economy, do you think, and the way we humans live our daily lives here in Ireland? And here's, I mean, here you've got a kind of paradox. Either we are successful in stopping climate change or preventing significant climate change, in which case we've got very little change in the climate to worry about, but we've made very dramatic changes to our economy, or vice versa, effectively global collapse uh, while having made no change to the economy. A 2050 net zero is quite a dramatic change. I mean, we'll probably need to, for net zero, be capturing carbon that will lead to maybe 20 to 30% forest cover across the country. We're at 11% now. So very dramatic that. Uh, a large decrease in the amount of driving public transport. 
because we need to uh, energy is key as we move to, to renewables we have less energy available to us public transport and act, you know, active transport is key to making that a realistic life as is deep retrofitting of all houses but then we have to work out things like what are those houses going to be made of you know, concrete wood a large-scale dramatic change in agriculture and this to be honest is going to be the politics of the next two decades Next month, as you both well know, world leaders will be gathering in Glasgow for COP26. And if that meeting is a failure and the world does not succeed in agreeing on cutting emissions or keeping the global temperature increase below 1.5 degrees, what is the worst case global scenario? And then on a local level, how different might our own daily life be right here in Ireland? Okay, you can predict a, a set of changes anywhere from very little, but most, most likely all the way to global collapse. Um, it's very difficult from a, an individual weather forecast to identify when that happens. You can look at, the, at, a, at a graph and see the isobars, and you don't see people being rescued from helicopters, from, the, from houses. A lot of it comes down to how resilient our society is. Um, mm-hmm. If we've got above about five degrees, it's hard. To, you know, it's it, it is basically impossible not to see global collapse. Um, whether that is the outcome, we, we you know, it's hard to imagine. Similarly, in Ireland, we've had people discuss that Ireland is a very favourable place if such a thing were to happen. But you know, we don't make our own shovels. If the world was to collapse around us, Ireland doesn't get that much better off. Uh, the weather might be slightly better, but you know, if you're, if you're dependent on food, if you're dependent on all of your trappings of civilization, um, you know, it's hard to say. The nice, it's a nice day in that outside with the weather. I wouldn't be as as, as um, fatalistic or as dramatic, maybe as Alistair was in some of his projections. You know, I, Ireland has a pretty much a Goldilocks climate uh, as it is. You know, it's not too hot, not too cold, not too wet or too dry, and by 2050, certainly. It won't be that different. It'll be a little bit wetter. The wet days will be wetter, there'll be more dry days. But it will still be, you know, a temperate, maritime, North Atlantic climate. Um, the same kind of plants we grow now will, will grow then. You know, the, maybe the growing season will be a bit different. But the, the big changes are going to be at the extremes. So the, these droughts that will test the resilience of the, our water infrastructure and, and the extra floods that will, you know, test other things. So there will be challenges, but they're always where. And people have survived worse wars and famines and, you know, um, biblical plagues in the past. And I, I don't see this as being any worse. Although I guess the offset of that, and this is a different conversation for a different day, but is is um, climate refugees and the huge numbers of people that will see a country like Ireland and say, well, I'm going to go there because they have it okay. I would agree with Enda basically about the Irish climate. This is my point, which is the things that will affect Ireland dramatically are the global changes. If food collapses globally, then being in Ireland doesn't really help. Uh, and it is the climate refugees. It's the clim- it is the hydrology of you know, water supplies coming from uh, the, for the Indian subcontinent. It's black wave events hitting southern Europe, etc. These are the things that cause global catastrophe that we worry about. 
So I guess what's key here is it's not thinking on a national, but thinking on an international basis, that it's not just about us Irish on this island, it's us humans on this planet. Indeed. I mean, we, ha- we, we have a national remit because we need to understand exactly what we need to do in Ireland. And that's important for the EPA. That's important for a national government to understand. Uh, but you know, we, the, the larger scale challenge doesn't change. It doesn't change. You know, it's, it is an, inter- an international problem for us to deal with. As climate scientists, as experts in this field, how do you feel about the climate crisis? I mean, the saying ignorance is bliss does spring to mind. Is it hard knowing what you know about the changes that are happening and still witnessing so many people and leaders turning a blind eye? I would say uh, that knowledge is not a burden. I would say, uh, on the contrary, that ignorance is, on balance, a more dangerous thing. And people are much more inclined to make mistakes out of ignorance than malice. So, you know, if um, we're feeling sick and we go to the doctor and we get a diagnosis, I think most of us will want to know if we have cancer. We we don't want to um, cover it up because you won't be able to cover it up forever. So, no, definitely we're better off knowing the truth. And, and our whole work is to find out the facts. What I find is the most difficult thing about our work is, is trying to get confidence in it. I mean, we, we don't have, you know, Greta Thunberg and all these school kids going out on strike um, for, for action to stop emitting um, these greenhouse gases on a false premise. So it's nice to know that the underlying science is robust. And, and similarly, we don't want governments going, you, you know, reorganizing the whole basis of our economy from oil and gas and fossil fuels into some other form of energy you know, on the basis of a false premise as well. So my worry is not to be crying wolf, to make sure that we we have a solid, rational, scientific basis for, for what we say. And after all these years, I'm pretty sure that we do, because IPCC has been asking this question now for at least 30 years. You know, what will happen if, you, if humans keep emitting carbon dioxide? And the climate models of the world keep running these simulations and they, the models get better over time. But they keep giving the same answer that more CO2 in the atmosphere has a warming effect. And, you know, the, the theory is relatively simple. The, the observational evidence is starting to support it now. And all the experimental evidence is supporting it as well. So there's a very strong case that you know, human activities are causing the climate change. And so human decisions can either accelerate it or, or halt it or maybe reverse it to some extent. What I want to know is, is that I'm right? The hardest thing is, is to be sure. And, and as a scientist, you've really got to be sceptical. You, you never really 100% trust your, your answer. You're, you're checking everything and it's, uh, it gets very tedious. Um, but at this point, uh, so much uh, repetitive work has been done to confirm the basic science that I, I think we can be confident that the science is right now. My take is that I'm basic, it's frustrating knowing what we've known and seeing the lack of movement on it. I mean, we're coming up to 30 years since the Rio Declaration, you know, when all the world's leaders effectively stood up on on our podium and declared that climate is an emergency. Let's face it, there has been some criticism of the United States, but I must tell you, we come to Rio proud of what we have accomplished and committed to extending the record on American leadership on the environment. We cannot be complacent unless the agreements reached here are accompanied by real commitments to significant change. The world is our garden, and together we must cultivate it. This week at Rio, we have made a start. By the time that they did that in 1992, most of those world leaders, even in Ireland, had had not just a second, but a third opinion by separate groups of independent scientists nationally. So the confidence on that science is pretty robust. The lack of movement is 
incredibly frustrating, particularly when you know the levels of danger that are, that are potential. Are you optimistic about our ability, us the general public as humans, to do what needs to be done to prevent the global collapse you described, the very worst scenario predicted by climate modelling? We can do it, yes. Um, the challenge is timing. The time to do something about going over a cliff is not when there's air underneath you. You have to do it long before you reach the cliff edge. And that's the big problem, is that climate is a bit of a juggernaut. It's taken 150 years, 200 years for us to get the climate moving the, the direction it is and warming. Uh, and it takes a lot of effort to stop it. And we need, you know, we need to do so now. Uh, so time it, the timing is the thing that worries me, but I, yeah, yeah I, I think we can. And is there anything you want to add there? Well, in answer to your question, I'm, I'm inclined to think of, of what I see when I walk around uh, near where I live. I see bits of furniture tipped into the bog. I see fast food wrappers thrown out of cars into the ditches. So it's very hard to see how people to do that are going to, you know, take responsible action to counteract climate change. But then, you know, for everybody who throws out their, their beer can out of the car, there's another bunch of people coming along, picking it up. The Tesco approach will only take us so far. The little bit helps will, will only take us so far. What's really needed to make an impact on the climate issue is national scale or international scale action. So that will take a lot of carrots and sticks uh, to be introduced by the government into form of taxes or subsidies or even mandates. And I, I get the impression that some big companies, especially like Borden Amona comes to mind, is getting out ahead of the curve uh, on this issue. And the governments, they're starting to take it more seriously, and partly because um, their their voters are, are taking it seriously. You know, I'm reminded too of what uh, Winston Churchill supposedly said about the Americans, that they always end up doing the right thing, but only after they've tried everything else first. <laughs> Something similar is possibly going to happen with this climate issue. Alistair Nenda, thank you so much for your time. That's all for today. You can find articles and other work by Irish Times journalists on the climate crisis in the lead up to COP26 on irishtimes.com. In the news, we'll be back on Friday. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.